Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a fantastic day. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray before we go into the message. Father God, I just pray that um, you would speak through me this morning. God, that it would be your words and that uh, our hearts would be open and receptive to the things you have for us today. Uh, we just glorify your name, Father, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I find it very uh, fitting that the theme for Easter, our Easter march into Easter is do something. Uh, with or for someone, because that's exactly what I'm going to be preaching on today. And so uh, the title of my message is A Godly Life, uh, and we're going to open with Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Isn't everybody so thankful that God has given us everything we need? That's, that's such a comfort to me to know. That's such a relief that no matter how hard life gets, we have everything we need. We've been equipped with everything we need. If I, we could list off all of the things that God has given us, right? His grace, supernatural ability to overcome sin, his Holy Spirit to do what he's called us to do, you know, sacrificing his son Jesus on the cross so that we would have a relationship with God for all eternity— he has given us so many things, the gifts of the Spirit, right? The, the gifts and the talents that he's put inside of us. Uh, we have everything we need for living a godly life in Jesus. Uh, I just recently got back. My wife and I took a group of students to Fine Arts Festival in Anchorage. And that was such an encouragement to see these young people de uh, developing their gifts and deploying and performing the things that God has put in their lives and their hearts to do, the different skills. They had so many categories. They had vocal solos, music, uh, skits, poems, poetry, painting. And the theme of this is like all of these students were glorifying God with the gifts that God had put inside of them. And fine arts exists to uh, help students develop those things and, and be effective with those things so that they can reach the lost, and they can reach their communities and, and use those gifts for their calling, what God has called them to do, and kind of hone those skills. And we had four, four of our students, four of our youth girls go up, and they did such an amazing job. We're super proud of each and every one of them. But they are doing something, right? When God puts a gift inside of you, he expects that you do something with it, correct? And so when, when uh, I read this verse, we ha God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I was like asking myself, okay, so what is a godly life? What, is that what does a godly life truly look like? And I have three points today on a godly life. And if you're taking notes, here's point number one. A godly life is a life that utilizes its ability to perform. Potential matters. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, we see a life that utilized its ability to perform. If you read about the Apostle Paul, you realize that he utilized the gifts and the skills that he had acquired throughout his life all for the glory of God. And he tells Timothy, his disciple, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Other translations say a sound mind. How many of you are familiar with that verse, God has not given us a spirit of fear? We, we quote that verse a lot, and it's a well-known verse. But a lot of the times, a lot of people don't read the verse before it in context. He's telling uh, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Therefore, fan into flame the spiritual gifts you received. The things that God put in your heart that you received when I laid my hands on you, 
and prayed for you, activate those things and start doing and performing the things that God put inside of you. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. Because you know why he said that? Because fear will keep you from doing the things that God put in your heart. He will, it will keep you from performing the gifts and the talents and from stepping out in faith. Have you ever really had a passion to do something and you, you, were, you felt like you were naturally good at something or, and you were like, oh, I'm really good at this and I'd like to do this, but I don't really know how it will play out. I don't know what people will think. I'm too busy with my job or whatever else. And I just, you know, we'll put that on the shelf and do that later or save that for a later date. Uh, fear will keep you from performing and stepping out into what God has put in your heart to do. And so the, the Greek word for power in that verse, in that passage, is dunamis. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, we've heard, may, might have heard teachings on this before about the meaning of the Greek word dunamis, right? The ability, power, um, might. And it's uh, basically, after looking at the different definitions, um, I kind of summarize it as an ability to perform, because you see a lot of dunamis in the New Testament when Jesus and the apostles and the disciples performed miracles or they did signs and wonders or they preached and people came to the Lord. It was dunamis. It was an ability to perform. And I know like we say a lot, you know, it's not about it's not a performance, but it kind of is in, in their correct context. Um, through God's grace, we have the ability to step out and perform the things that God has put inside of us, put in our hearts to do. Don't let fear keep you in your comfort zone. Don't let fear keep you from stepping out and trying. Maybe there's some new things that we, you know, I, I know there's things in my own life right now at this moment that there are things in my heart that I know God has put in my heart to do. And I've allowed myself to kind of not just step out and do those things. One of those things is songwriting. I know God has put it in my heart to write songs and write new songs, but I haven't done that and I was like, God's like, hey, I put this in you. You know, you need to do this. There are things and maybe new things in your guys' lives that you were like, I haven't even done this before, but I, I, I feel like I have a passion for it and I would love to do it uh, in a ministry capacity or just step out and, and try doing this thing. I would encourage you to seek the Lord on it and do it, no matter how scary it might seem, no matter like, you could always come up with 100,000 reasons why not to do something new. And it might make a lot of sense in your head, like, well, I don't, that's not really in the budget, and I don't, don't. You could come up with reasons, but what is God saying, right? Because when God is put in your heart, he makes a way. Like my youth pastor used to say all the time, with God's vision comes God's provision. So when you step out in something that God has put in your heart to do, he will provide the resources and the means to do it. Too often we can get to a mindset, too, that says, when it comes to our lives as Christians and as believers, Oh, it's just all grace, though. It's all him, right? And we quote, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And if, we, if we're not careful, what was, uh, um, what was the uh, speaker's name? Kelly um, Shabaka had said, sometimes if we're not careful, we can get a case of versitis, where we take a verse and we kind of develop this doctrine or this theology around it. And we kind of take it out of context sometimes. Everybody's done it. If, if, if you are a Christian, you have done this at least once in your life. But... Um, this is true when it comes to salvation. When it comes to us, we can never earn our way to God. We know that it was his sacrifice. He established the bridge to make a way to him. We know this. But when we're talking about being obedient to the voice of God and being called upon to act, then it's on us. And now we determine what happens next. 
Pastor Scott shared a pretty awesome quote with me when I was telling him about my message earlier this week, and I, I really like this quote. God is not obligated to fulfill your potential for you. I'm like, oh, that's so convicting because so many times, how many times has it been like, well, God, um, you know, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It's like, you, that's true if you're obeying the voice of God and you're following his will and you're being obedient to what he says, then yes, he will carry out the good work he began in you until completion. But if you're not doing anything with what God has given you, it kind of stops right there. And so faith without works is dead. If you read the book of James, you'll see that we're called upon to act. Like, yes, we can't earn our way to God, but once we receive God's gift of salvation and we've accepted Christ and we follow the Holy Spirit, with, uh, live through the Holy Spirit, then it's on us to live like we've been saved, to show that we've been saved. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. I preached on this at youth group uh, last Sunday night about the fear of the Lord and how we need to get back to understanding what it means to have a healthy fear and respect for the Lord. Because I looked, at the, I looked up the Greek word for fear in that verse, and it's phobos, where we get the word phobia from. And it's to a fear or a dread or a terror to strike fear into. And the way that I equated it to in the youth group was like, if any of you have been, uh, when you were a little kid, and you did something that you know you're like, I'm in super big trouble. I might be dead after this point. <laughs> like, my parents are going to be so mad at me. Like, I'm, I'm done. You know, my goose is cooked, as they would say. Has any of you guys ever had that feeling before when you were a kid? Like, that is a healthy fear and respect for your parents or for authority. And I think we've, uh, a lot of our, you know, the church today, especially in our nation, has lost that healthy fear and respect for the Lord, for God. So we work hard to show the results of our salvation, right? Work hard. And so one of my big takeaways from this message today that I have for you that I want everybody to remember is this, and I have it as a slide too. When we stand before God, we will be judged not only on what we did, but on what we were capable of doing. Potential matters. The things that God put in your heart, in your life, he didn't just put it there just so you could have a feeling or just so that it could be there. He expects that we do something with it. If you have a seed, an apple seed, and you're like, man, I really would like some all, you know, fully 100% all natural apples from an apple tree. Are you just going to leave that seed sit on a shelf somewhere? Or are you going to go and plant that thing and water it and give it sunlight and cause it to grow and then produce, I don't know how many apples an apple tree makes, but you have a, an excessive bounty of apples and, and a harvest eventually if you give it time and you care for it and you cultivate. There are seeds in our life that God has put there and he has planted them. And we determine whether we, you know, cause it to grow and produce a harvest. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. This is the parable of the three servants. I love this parable. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Remember that. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to work and invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account 
of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward and with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeesh, that's pretty harsh. But this goes into my second point if you're taking notes. The first point is a life that utilizes its ability to perform. A godly life, number two, is a life that is faithful and obedient according to its abilities. Potential matters. The master did not judge the servants on what they were given. He judged them on what they did with what they were given. So we see from this parable, well, I haven't been given much. Not really a viable excuse when, when it comes to, you know, doing what God's called us to do or utilizing what we have. I haven't been given much is like, well, use what you've been given. Because we see here when he says, you've been faithful in handling this small amount. So sometimes I believe God works with his children, works with us. He gives us a little bit and is like, okay, let's, now let's see how you do with that. And if you're faithful with that, okay, and let's give you a little bit more. And because he knows if we're faithful with little, what does the Bible say? We'll be faithful with much. And so a life that is obedient and faithful according to its abilities. I noticed, I had some, a few observations from this passage. Uh, notice how the servant who started with two bags of silver was not expected to turn that into 10 bags like the first servant. We didn't see the, the servant say, well, I took this two bags of silver and made it into four. The, the master didn't go, well, why didn't you do 10 like the first servant? Because he wasn't given as much, right? And so he was rewarded simply for doubling what he had. He didn't compare himself to the other servants. He didn't try to outperform the first guy. He was simply himself, which reminds me of a quote I heard from a former, it was a former Assemblies of God World Missions Director named Lauren Triplett when, it was, when he was talking about comparison as believers and, and comparing like the things that we do in our accomplishments. And he said, we dare not measure our success against anything but the unfinished task. And so the next time you're tempted to compare yourself to another Christian's walk with Christ or another believer or another household, think of that quote. Because I think of that when I think of comparison. I dare not measure my success or myself against anything except the unfinished task. I compare myself to what God has for me. Like, I, I compare myself to where God wants to take me. How much work is to be done in my life. That's what I compare myself to and my successes to. How much further can I go? What else does God have for me? I'm not look, I don't want to look at another Christian and their walk or focus on their, their problems or their successes. What does God have for me? What is the unfinished task in my life? And so the second servant was just being faithful with what he had been given. The servant who started with five bags of silver was given more, 
so more was expected of him. And he didn't say, well, Mr. Joe, two bags of silver guy, only ended up with four bags of silver, and I've got five sitting right here, so I'm good, even if I just hold on to these five bags. That wasn't his mindset, because he would have been cast out like the wicked and lazy servant, because he didn't do anything with the five bags of silver he had been given. He doubled it, just the same as the person with two bags of silver doubled it. Both were rewarded with essentially the same blessing and praise for being faithful and obedient according to their ability. They were blessed and praised for doubling what they had been given. The amounts didn't matter. The fact that they doubled what they had is what mattered. Uh, my third point is a godly life is a life that gives a return on what God has invested. Potential matters. God has invested into each and every one of us. He's made a big investment, a very big investment. And he expects a return on that investment. And so it really doesn't matter the amount of things, how little or how much we have. And it doesn't matter what we have. You know, we might, you know, whether it's money, assets, time, influence, power, opportunities, family, friends, you know, going on and on down the list, the things that God has given us. What are we doing with the things that we have been given? What are the things that you are doing? What are you doing with the things that you have been blessed with in life? Are you causing it to multiply into a return for God's glory? Are you going to be like the, that apple seed or that seed that God plants and it grows and it produces fruit? What, what happened when Jesus, um, this isn't in my notes, but I just thought of this. What happened when Jesus came across that fig tree that had no figs? It, was, it, didn't, have any, it didn't have any fruit, so he cursed it. And it's like, I don't want to be cursed, so I want to use what God has given me. I want to produce fruit in my life. Uh, the idea is that if you're planted and you, and you grow and you're not producing fruit, there's a problem there. And, and so, like, we naturally, seeds produce fruit that produces more seeds. That's just kind of how God made it in the beginning when he made creation. Are we multiplying? Is, are our lives bearing fruit? And not just like the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's, that's more fruit that our lives will bear as we, as we follow Christ and as we live through the Holy Spirit. But there's other fruit. How many of you guys know there's other types of fruit and results in our life that comes from being faithful and obedient with what we've been given, right? There's people that come to know Christ, there are lives that are ministered to, people that are prayed over, uh, young people or people of all ages that are influenced toward a relationship with God, towards the kingdom of heaven, simply by the way that our lives are being lived, by the things we say and the things we do. That's good fruit. Would you guys agree? That's good fruit that your life is yielding. Uh, that's multiplication. When you live in such a way where you're utilizing what God put inside of you and there's other people watching you and they start doing the same thing, God looks to you and says, hey, you know what? That was because you were faithful with what you've been given, and now they're following and doing the same thing. That's multiplication. That's building leaders. That's leadership. So are we causing the things that God gave us to multiply? Can the world see the results of our salvation, or is it buried like a single bag of silver that the last servant had? And are we just holding on to it, keeping it to ourselves, just waiting for the day that either Jesus comes back or that we join God in heaven? That is not the way that God has called us to live. God has called us to live. It says, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so this salvation that we hold isn't just for us, right? It's for everybody. And so I'm reminded of that quote that says, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, right? Uh, so our actions and our lifestyle and the things we do and the gifts that we've been given, we can use all those, all those things were meant to point everybody to God and to reflect God to the lives around us.
When we stand before God, we will be judged not only on what we did, but also on what we were capable of doing, potential matters. So this morning, I just want to give the opportunity, maybe there's some, someone here today that you don't know or understand what God has given, and you've yet to receive the salvation and the empowerment that he offers. The very first and most important step to utilizing the full potential of who God has made you to be is accepting and believing in Jesus with all of your heart. We call it the ABCs of salvation because the, the concept is simple as ABC, right? Even a, even a young child can understand the offer of salvation. First of all, we admit, right? A, we admit that we've sinned and that we need God to rescue us. We need his deliverance. We need his help. We can't do it on our own. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. So we just admit and we confess to God, God, I've messed up and I need you. I can't do this on my own. And we just ask him for help to rescue us. B, we believe in the name of Jesus. We put our faith, our trust, and our hope in him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages or the payment of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm so thankful that it's free. We don't have to try to earn it. There's no qualification. It's just, it's open to all. And then lastly, in C, we confess and declare that he is Lord and that he rose from the dead. We believe and we, and we declare that he is who he says he is, that every word he's spoken is true. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So if there's anyone today that has not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I would ask that you begin to pray right now in your own words. Ask for God's forgiveness of your sins. Declare your need and your dependence on him and your need for him. Put your faith in his son Jesus. Believe that he is who he says he is and that every word he has spoken is true. I think it's important that we, we pray this prayer to God in our own words, just from your heart. And it shows the authenticity of just communicating with God. And if anybody would like prayer or want to know more about it after the service, please come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you about it. I just want to uh, just mention how thankful, you know, and how grateful we, we should be to God each and every day for all that he's given us, all that he's done for us. And this, the gifts that he's given us, just the life that was sacrificed for us to be made right with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, Paul lays out why we do this. It says in verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, we just thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, that his body was broken so that we could be fixed. Thank you for the wholeness and the completeness that can be found in you because of Jesus Christ. God, we, we take this bread to remember the sacrifice that saved us from our sins, our past, and from an eternal fate without you. We just bless your name, God, and we take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So God, we thank you for the perfect blood of Jesus that was spilled for us 
that his innocent life was taken so that we could be cleansed as pure in your sight, that he experienced death so that we could find new life in you, Father. Help us to always remember the sacrifice that you're coming again, the new covenant that you established with us. God, may we live in such a way that honors your sacrifice. We praise your name, Jesus. Let's take another cup together. God, we lift up your name today. We thank you for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives, each and every one of our hearts. God, help us to be faithful with what we've been given. God, that we would utilize the things that you've put inside of us 100% to be faithful and obedient to you, God, to maximize our potential, to live in such a way that honors and pleases you. God, that when we stand before you at the end of our lives, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, I just pray that we would always work at everything that we do to the best of our ability. And God, that we would understand that we do it unto you, that we would not just do things for you, God, but that we would do things with you. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we worship you. We say, have your way in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.